Welcome to the Love Your Truth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jen Chrisman, and for over a decade, I have been a licensed clinical psychologist, life coach, and on my own journey of personal and spiritual development. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you an inspiring guest or a thought that will help you move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your true potential because you know there is something inside of you that you want to express and a kind of life that you want to create. We're going to be talking about personal development, wellness, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. You'll get a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your life today. Are you ready? Let's get on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Love Your Truth podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you an exciting new free offer that I have for you. It is called Your Highest Self Life Vision Workbook. And I know that is a mouthful, but I have put so much time and love into this workbook for you. It is an offering to support you in creating the vision of your highest self. This is something that we talk about often. It is really the one of the first steps that is required in creating real lasting change in our life. We have to know where it is that we're headed. And that's what this workbook was designed to support you in doing. It is 22 pages of journaling questions uh, divided into different parts to narrow in on the different aspects of yourself and to support you in creating that bridge of alignment from where you are currently to where you are wanting to go. So you can get your free highest self life vision work book by going to my website at www.drjennifercrisman.com forward slash highest self. I'll also put this in the show notes. And to make it even easier, you can simply text me at 310-361-0629. All you have to do is just text the word workbook and it'll get sent to you automatically. So I'll leave those in the show notes for you. And with that, enjoy today's episode. Okay, I am so excited to introduce this week's guest interview. Her name is Makosi Najesser. She's also known as the Royal Shaman. And Makosi is an extreme pioneer in the domain of personal development and energetic alignment. She is a fully initiated Sanusi, which is a Zulu shaman. And she's trained in ancient Egyptian spirituality through the Dogon Mystery School. She's currently working as a spiritual guide and an authentic shaman to help serious seekers fulfill their highest potential. And I was so excited to have Makosi on the podcast. I had heard her on a few other podcasts, and she is one of those storytellers and teachers that I could just listen to for hours. And I had so many questions and so many topics going into this interview. I knew ahead of time there was no way that we were going to be able to get to everything that I wanted to talk about, which is totally fine because it just means that we have already planned to have her back for at least a part two. Uh, If I have it my way, we'll have her back for two, three, four, five, all the way. We'll never end. Uh, but really, I, again, she is an incredible teacher, a beautiful soul, and we have a really powerful conversation around spirituality and following our path, following our purpose, going against the grain, learning how to listen for your calling, even when 
you don't want to do the work that is attached to following that calling. We talk about the the light and the shadow of cultural appropriation, of activism in our client today. We talk about you know, finding and holding your truth and shining bright, even when it ruffles other people's feathers. We go in on so many topics. And like I said, by the time it was time to, to wrap up, I felt like we were just getting started. So I'm so excited for you to to listen to Makosi, to hear her story, and to have her back for another interview because she is a beautiful, beautiful soul on this planet doing beautiful work. And with that, please enjoy this episode. Okay. Hey, so like I said, I am so excited to have you here, Makozi. I have so many topics that are floating around in my mind that I I know and I have to just accept that there's no way we're going to get to all of them, but I would love to start with just a little bit of background on who you are. You are the Royal Shaman and you are... Uh, I would love to hear your story, actually, of what that means to be a shaman. Um, I mean, already out the gates, I know we can go in a million different directions with that. I feel like it's a word that is so loosely thrown around these days. Uh, You're smiling as I say that. (laughs) Um, And so I would love to hear what exactly does that mean? What, What was the process for you of embarking on that path in your life and how did you know that it was your calling all of the things it's we'll just start there okay let's start let's start there so uh a long long time ago once upon a time (laughs) there was um a little girl who most certainly had spiritual gifts and knowing about certain things Um, from a very young age, um, I came really remembering who I was the last time that I was here. And I used to kind of creep everyone out with my stories about how to mummify me if I died when I was like four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I also was, was very, um, I could just intuit things and just see things very young, but I absolutely never thought, yeah, someday I want to become a shaman. That was not on the, on my mind at all. I really wanted to, I saw myself kind of as, as an underdog or the, or the one who everyone kind of like discounted. And so I always felt like I had to prove something. So I wanted to be the most successful. I wanted to be the doctor and so on and so forth. And so I really went down that path. But when I was 15, uh, my best friend was murdered and and she popped up at the end of my bed, just as plain as day, the day that they pulled the plug. She was shot on a Friday and they pulled the the plug on on Saturday and she popped up. And that experience caused me to look at, whoa, this is like, this is real. (laughs) There's something to this. And so I had always been an explorer of ancient wisdom, ancient knowledge, and looking at the connection and the psychology behind ancient cultures. And it propelled me down that, down that path. So fast forward a little bit to college and um, I was pre-med. So I was taking all my prereqs for med school, but I also had this fallback of getting my degrees in business and marketing in case med school didn't work out for me. And I had my son, my, my last year. And I decided like, there was no way that I could, I just, at that moment, I just wanted to be with him because I fought so hard to get pregnant and to stay pregnant was a very difficult challenge for me. So Through all of that, I I ended up not going to med school and I eventually got into direct sales and in direct sales, I found the six, the quote unquote success that everyone says that you should be striving for. 
-hmm. right? So in direct sales, when you get to the top and I got to the top very quick, like within nine months, I was in the top 2% of the company. And in those companies, they're, they're flying you out They're you know, it's free trips, it's designer bags and all of these things. And I still wasn't fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I started questioning, wait a minute, how much time and energy have I been spending chasing this idea of what everyone else thought I should be because it wasn't really for me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having some really insane synchronicities happen, which ultimately introduced me to ancient Egyptian or comedic spirituality through the Dogon of West Africa. And so I entered into that initiation. I was in that initiation for three years. And then after leaving that, some really more wild, crazy synchronicities happened. I followed those. And that ultimately took me to South Africa, where I initiated as a Sangoma or um, really it's just another term or what they would call, um, their, their shaman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the I, I, yeah. <laughs> so I have so many questions in those pieces. I'm curious during that time from, you know, from that four-year-old little girl talking about how to mummify herself to the 15 year old teenager, whose best friend appears at the foot of her bed, what was your relationship to spirituality, to um, the spiritual world, um, to yourself? And I'm also curious, how did your family respond to you? And were they supportive or was this something that they struggled with? Yeah, these were not things that were really talked about in mm-hmm. my home. So I grew up um in a, in a Christian family, I, I went to church, um, with my great grandmother and also with my grandmother. And so, I mean, my first performance was in the church. And so there was always this conflict that I was feeling, um, around being in religion. Cause there were just certain things that I knew. I just came knowing certain things mm-hmm. and, I would ask questions. I would, I would literally grill the pastor sometimes with certain questions and never be able to get an, an actual answer because there wasn't an, an answer there, like very basic ones. Like yeah. how do Adam and Eve have two sons and then populate the earth? Like those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So at from four to 15, even though like life was very difficult for me as a child. Um, I experienced molestation. I was raped when I was 11. Um, and I was also a mixed kid in Southern West Virginia. My mom was a teenage mom. Like it was just, it was poverty and racism and, 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 and like all of the things. So as a kid, it was, it was like survival. Mm -hmm. It was survival mode all the time, but I was still having certain experiences that were very spiritual in nature. And I was, I was a seeker at a very young age. So I would have my mom like buy me books about, um, about ancient Egypt and I would be studying and reading. I was always an outsider. So I've like found my home essentially Mm -hmm. in, in knowledge. And (laughs) I even at 11, Um, Someone gifted me a tarot deck. I started reading, um, sorry, not 11, 12, um, gifted me a tarot deck. I started reading tarot for kids at the middle school. And I distinctly remember having experiences with um, various animal spirits that would come at night, um, as well as just being able to see darkness um, Mm. in people and see Um, I remember an occasion when my stepfather's friend, who was this, this guy who everyone really wanted to be with, he was like the guy. And I was like, mom, please don't let him around me. And I was like 13 or something. Um, And I was like, don't let him around me because he's, he is like molesting 
little girls. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And how did your mom respond to that when you, when you told her? Yeah, of course she thought that I was kind of crazy, but she did at least honor and respect yeah. me for that. It did come out years later. Like we, there were many things that happened when I was young that it didn't come out until many years later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that like, I was, I was right. Even yeah. I had an instance with a best friend of mine who had, she had been seeing this little boyfriend that I had. And whenever he came around, I started throwing up. Like literally I would start vomiting every time he came around. And it wasn't for like years that I figured out that they were <laughs> like wow. talking to each other behind my back. Mm-hmm. So I was very intuitive from such an early age. Mm-hmm. Your early story reminds me so much of me, um, that innate personality of being the seeker and being in a religious environment and asking questions that I, I even at, you know, four and five years old, I knew that I was asking questions that the other kids weren't asking and that there, I it, something wasn't adding up for me in terms of what I was being taught in the traditional religion um, context. However, for me, I ended up completely abandoning myself in that, that process I, because I was so hurt by the church. Um, and it took me years to be able to be willing to drop my judgment uh, in order to be open to pursue my spiritual path. I'm curious for you at any point in this journey, when these synchronicities started happening, when you started to put all these pieces together and follow the path of initiation, did you ever reject it or say no? I staunchly resisted. (laughs) (laughs) I resisted it so much. There were, let me kind of backtrack on that. Whenever I was first faced with the potential prospect of, um, the very first initiation process where now I'm being confronted with the opportunity to learn um, the the ancient Egyptian culture coming from within the, like the hidden mystery schools in Africa, (laughs) right? Like for me, that was a no, that one was a no brainer. Right. And so I was like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to do this. And of course I had, you know, a baby at the time he was very young, but for me, that was like, that was an easy one. However, through that process, we're having divination done and, and having certain ceremonies and so on and so forth. And it kept coming out that I was going to need to become a priestess and so on and so forth. Cause that's the word that they would use. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm uh, like, you know, 50 and my son's like grown and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I'm done with my career and all of that. And I just have free time to just go off and do that. So me accepting that actually, no, I was being called to do it very fast. And the sacrifices that I was being called to make, it's a, this is a very hard path. And the, in the African traditions, it's just very even physically challenging, emotionally, it's meant to essentially break you and kill off your ego or, or mm-hmm. who you thought that you were so that you can be molded into this other version. Mm-hmm. And can you share a little bit, bless you. <laughs> can you share a little bit? I'm, I'm going to try and articulate this question. And so bear with me as I kind of talk it out loud a little bit. But I'm curious, how did you know that you were being called to initiation and what creates that, uh, the separation, I guess, for lack of a better word of someone who is just going deep into a spiritual path versus that next level. Um, I don't know if ascension would be the right word, but the next level of, um, like stepping into the priestess or the shamanic practices? Like how does one create that bridge? Yeah. Ooh, I love this question so much. And I wish more people would ask me this one. Um, (laughs) 
because, well, first of all, anyone can practice, like can, can bring into their life shamanic practice or um, pr some priestly practices that ground them, that connect them and so on and so forth. That's a given and anyone can absolutely do that. Um, for me and for many like me, the way that we're called is essentially it's a, it becomes a life or death. And one of the ways that you know, typically is that you will, you will resist it. You will not want to do it because there's part of the soul that knows what it actually deeply means. It means like our life is not ours. And so whenever we're required to do something that makes us uncomfortable, like for example, even just being in the public eye to the level that I am and that I know is coming, I'm like, I, like the human me doesn't want that. <laughs> the human me is like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. The other piece um, is that typically shamans go through um, what's called a calling sickness. There's a, there's an illness that comes along with it. Um, my illness actually started shortly after uh, my best friend's murder. So if that gives you any idea of how long this was, it was long time. I had no idea that that was what was happening. So for me, it looked like um, deep bone pain. So there would be nights that I would just be screaming in pain and my, I'm crying. My husband's like, I don't know what to do for you. Um, it would look like I was literally seeing spirits. I would be driving down the road and boom, there's one at the crossroads. <laughs> And having those experiences and that I'm in the middle of sleeping and there's one at the end of my bed. Um, also losing massive amounts of weight. There was a time I lost like 15 pounds in a month for no reason. And my temp, my body temperature kept dropping to almost hypothermia levels. And there was no reason for it. Mm. And of course I was at the peak of it. Um, going to three different doctors three times a week, every single week. And no one could figure out what was going on with my body. It wasn't just, um, of course, there were some who were like, oh, this is just like mental illness <laughs> and she's just manifesting this. But I mean, there were even periods I was for almost two years, I bled for two weeks on, two weeks off. And I was just literally wasting away. So it came to this point and because I had been seeking and having readings and coming to this knowing and da, 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 it got to the point. I remember literally being lying in bed with a terrible migraine because migraines were also a part of it for me as my site was opening. And I literally was, I, I said out loud in the room, pitch dark. I don't, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> I don't care what I have to do. I don't care. I don't care who I lose. I don't care how much money it takes. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how long it takes. I will do anything to get out of this. And I meant it. Mm. And as soon as I said that, this is, this is the crazy part. Literally, as soon as I said that I got a ding on my phone <laughs> and it was from this woman who I didn't know where I recognized her, but I had actually dreamed of her a year before. And I was confused because we look alike. Mm. And she dinged my phone and said, hey, are you a healer? And I said, well, I'm not yet, but I, I know that I'm, I'm here to be one somehow. And then that unfolded and eventually she became my spiritual mother. That's, that was why I saw her in my, in my dreams. So the people are always, will always ask me like, how do I know if I'm called to become a shaman or, or called to one of these, um, levels of dedication and devotion and sacrifice? Um, you won't not know mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to be so clear that you can't do anything else at all it becomes essentially a life or death situation. And so I took that path because 
I really didn't have another option. I can't, I can't be anything but in this role. I am wondering if you can speak to your thoughts, your perspective as, as globally, the consciousness is shifting Uh, more and more people are expanding and opening up their channels. Um, And these spiritual practices that have been very rooted in indigenous cultures are coming to more of the Western world. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak to your thoughts on that process, um, as well as, you know, I know, like I said in the beginning, like the word shaman is when it gets thrown around quite a bit now, um, cultural appropriation, you know, all of these topics that, um, you know, I'm just curious your opinion, if you can share, because I think, you know, with everything in life, there's, you know, the aspect of truth that needs to be spoken to. And then there's also the shadow that comes with it. Yes. And I'd love to hear your perspective. Uh, um, even myself using the term shaman, um, I am very aware and know that the term shaman comes from a very specific culture in Siberia, that this is the name or the title that's understood and known for this kind of healer by them. However, we live in a time and a space where there are certain words that we utilize or are understood to mean something. So if I say that I'm um, a Sanusi, which I'm, an, I'm a Sangoma, but there's actually different types. <laughs> and the role that I play on a societal level is really more, more of a Sanusi, which is essentially the, like the Oracle or the, the seer, or the one who has to do with um, the paradigm of people, really. It's a, it's a very big level. Um, so we have to understand one another So I utilize the term only in that I'm trying to communicate meaning, right? Like if I say the word chakra, that's not an English word. (laughs) It's not an English word, but it comes with with a meaning coming from a cultural paradigm. This is really a conversation around paradigm. So when people talk about cultural appropriation, the first thing that we have to understand and I've spent many years, essentially since I was a little tiny girl researching this. And even in my um, initiations, this, this came through and the elders have even said this to me that at one point in history, we were a global spiritual system. One, one spirituality that was multicultural, it was expressed in different ways but the core foundational principles are the same. So what I look at is, are we in that paradigm? Are we connected to and living in the paradigm or the perspective of the tools, the techniques, the ceremonies, the rituals, et cetera, that we are utilizing as, like, as a service to others? Anyone can be on the receiving end for sure. But for those of us who are offering it to others, the paradigm is the most important part because you can't, you can't separate the tool's effectiveness from the paradigm. A tool's Mm -hmm. only as effective as the paradigm. Mm -hmm. And where do you think um, we sometimes go awry with that paradigm? (laughs) Um, I think we go awry because so many of us want to do the easy thing or actually even the doing, Uh right? So people come to me all the time. They're like, you know, you're a shaman. Will you do a, will you do a shaman, a a shamanic session with me? Blah, blah, blah. Because they feel like, oh, I'm doing something. So something must be changing versus what I invite people to do, which is more difficult is the becoming. It's Mm -hmm. It's who you are being and how you're perceiving, how you're operating in the world. 
So the problem that we have right now, which is why so many people are uh, really talking about cultural appropriation, is that those of us from the West, we come with a paradigm that has a history. It has a history of, of destruction, of um, parasitic behavior, and, and, and there's, there's a lot that it comes with. It's a, and it's a paradigm, it's a, it's a school of thought, a way of thinking and way of seeing the world. So we don't address that. And we then go to spiritual practices, indigenous peoples and so on and so forth, bringing that the colonial mindset to sacred practices, to beautiful traditions and so on and so forth. So that's why the solution that I bring forth really centers around the paradigm and shifting paradigm so that anyone could step into a sacred or traditional or ancient practice or path, et cetera, and be able to operate from that and the tools be effective and also not be destructive. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear more about the actual work that you do with people and how you support. Cause I know you are in the business of massive up leveling <laughs> and I know that you really support, um, support people in, um, making those quantum leaps into, you know, just expansive levels of success. And can you share a little bit about your approach and your, perspective on what is required for someone to create real lasting change in their life? Mm, such a good question. Um, so the, we'll, we'll, we'll call it the method that I use mm. <laughs> is um, I call it the energetics of euphoria. Essentially we have, well, we have many aspects, but we'll focus, we'll focus now on the identity level and then your higher self or your soul, or, you know, whatever you call that aspect of you that is connected or coming from source, God, creator, and so on. In real time, in very present moment, your higher self is pulling in opportunities. It's always pulling in opportunities for you to expand, shift, align into the kind of experience that it is desiring to have. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that communication is going to come through the emotions, the emotions that are the, the triggers, the um, peaks, et cetera, are communicating to you where your growth edges are where you're coming up against how you've boxed yourself in and now you're hitting that, that wall and your emotions are communicating to you. Whoop. Actually, this is an area where we need you to shift your perspective on it. We need you to um, expand into it, lean into it and so on and so forth. So the work that I do would probably fall under shadow work. It would probably fall under that, under that umbrella as it is really about in a very present way, surrendering, <laughs> literally surrendering to, okay, I am willing to look at whatever my higher self is bringing into my, into my existence. And through that, I'm going to explore deeper layers of myself, the, the aspects of me that I have been rejecting, that I have been suppressing or pretending are not me. And then integrating that back in to yourself. And ultimately, after doing this for some time and really getting into the practice of this, the ultimate experience then becomes self-transcendence, which of course Maslow talked about it, meaning like you're transcending your focus on yourself and now in service of others. And that's one way to perceive it but it actually is more about your transcending the self or the ego or identity aspect. And now you are operating from your soul or your spirit, your higher self first, 
And that is then shaping an ego that can be in service to what your higher self wants to experience. So I have a question. This might be a really 3D question. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, do you think that people are capable of going through that process um, without support of shamanic practices, um, plant medicines, things like that, that take us to um, altered states of consciousness or uh, bypass that prefrontal cortex? Could they get past it? Maybe, maybe not using shamanic practices or maybe not using plant medicine. I actually think plant medicine is probably one of the last things that um, most people really need. Um, however, most people do need some tool of some sort. And there are, there are many tools. I do not just use shamanic practice. I'm always just looking at how can I just, how can I bypass the prefrontal cortex of this, yeah. of this person? How can I, how can I tap into their subconscious? And for each person, um, it could be different. It could look different for sure. But I do know that you don't get there just from mindset. Mm -hmm. You don't get there from just mindset work. What I really deal with is the energetic plane. It's the embodiment. It's becoming the energy of yeah. right. And shifting the energy, which is such a deeper level, which then manifests in a variety of ways. I can never predict all of the ways in which it's going to manifest, but we are so multidimensional that when you pull on one thread, it will pop up in your life. It will pop up in your business. It will pop up in, you know, this friend that you had in third grade. And now all of a sudden, wait a minute, this and this and this, and they all connect because we are this kind of interweaving, interwebbing. So mm -hmm. I actually say, you actually don't have to have any tools at all, but most people are really going to struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And so having tools, especially early on is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, it's, I spent the last 20 years in a very, you know, traditional, traditionally trained psychologist, you know, Western model and continued to come up against this resistance within myself around the work that I was doing of, you know, spending years, years with people talking and, you know, experiencing my own frustration and their frustration of the lack of of change in their life and, you know, holding to, like, I, I don't want to devalue the significance and the importance of a corrective emotional experience in a relationship that we can have with therapy. Um, you know, but so often, you know, what people need in life is not to talk more about what's going on. We do a lot of talking as is, uh, and nothing can change. And yeah. so, but for me, it's really, you know, in the last five years, you know, my whole focus and, um, you know, the purpose of my work has shifted fully into the embodiment piece and creating that bridge for people from their, their mind into their soul, mm -hmm. which is not always easy to get people, uh, to get on board with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's why, um, looking at how, indigenous and ancient systems were, were structured, the, the, the way that the society worked, there would be someone like, like myself, a Sanusi or, um, someone who had like your level of understanding of how human beings work and how, why they behave the way that they do. And then those would be the people who would then bring through the, the methods, the ceremony or the ritual, et cetera. There would be some others who maybe they would be like the shamans mm -hmm. who would be very trained in these practices, right? Mm -hmm. And then they would facilitate those for other people because the all the different aspects of the ceremony or the ritual are tapping into one of these 
components of the subconscious mind Mm -hmm. in the human being. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's so much value in, in ritual, in ceremony, in certain practices as well. Is it absolutely necessary? No, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) to get your mind out of the way is a really hard thing. And most people really suck at it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. I mean, it's so true. I'm just, you know, thinking like my own experience even of, you know, supporting myself in these practices using breath work and, um, and plant medicine in my own path. It's been a huge part of, um, creating that shift. And, you know, I'm continually, continually humbly reminded of how much deeper the layers are within and like what gets stored in the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when left to my own, even with the practices and the tools, I still want to hang out in my head. I still mm-hmm. want to avoid, you know, going, going deeper into, because it can sometimes be really painful. Yes. Yes. You add on top of it, uh, social media and you know, YouTube and podcasts and so on and so forth. It's very easy to just stay in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious. I kind of want to take a turn a little bit because I'm really curious about um, kind of just getting to know you a little bit more in terms of um, your practices and your connection and your understanding to uh, ancient civilizations and the spiritual world. And I'm curious um, how much of your work in your life um, are you connected with and working with guides, ancestors? Um, how much of that is a part of your experience? Yeah, I would say that my role, like in my own personal life, there's not a separation at, at all, really. Um, my life is now essentially a ceremony or a a practice. So at any given moment, I could literally be sitting here with you doing this interview and then spirit could come say da, 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 da. Um, And so that looks like different aspects of, of spirit. So it could be ancestors, um, various guides, animals. Um, Mostly I work with ancestors and what people would would refer to as divinities, gods, gods and goddesses. Um, even my name, Nejezer, means the protector and advocate of the holy. And so um, I have to maintain a certain lifestyle. There's a certain way of life that I have in order to be able to connect with some of the divinities that I work with because they are very, very vibrationally high, mm-hmm, we'll say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it requires, it just requires a lot from me. Yeah. And do you ever come up against, um, have you encountered, I'm curious how you handle um, judgment, um, accusations? even, um, around these practices? Oh, yes. (laughs) There's so much. There's so much. I mean, I even, I, this has been a huge from in my own journey of, you know, my creating this relationship with my, the spiritual aspect of myself. And, um, you know, I had someone accuse me of being the devil, uh, not too long ago. And because I was wearing a snake ring, which was so interesting to me, because, you know, for me, the, uh, you know, the snake is symbolic of transformation and, you know, this, um, you know, it's such a beautiful process of like shedding the the aspects of self that we're outgrowing and like growing into something new. Um, and when that happened for me, it was like, I had never experienced that level of, uh, and I'm, you know, not even close to, to the level of expression and connection and publicity that you're at 
And so I'm curious your, your journey around that. Oh, for sure. There's been so much. I mean, people have said, oh, I need to throw holy water on you. Uh, calling me a witch doctor, calling mm. um, a, a devil, the demon, uh, I mean, just a lot. There's even a diss song about me <laughs> out there. <laughs> That's how serious it is. Um, and for me, actually, I get it. I get it from both sides. So because of the role that I play in that I'm not here to bring the traditions, I'm not here to bring people into initiation in the way that I was initiated. I'm here to bring forth an entirely new paradigm. So not only are there um, people who, you know, maybe they've had Christian upbringing or um, really any of the, the Judeo-Christian um, influences, not only do I get it from there, but I do also get it from some, some traditional um, people, indigenous people. There are some who are upset that I work with um, clients of every race. There are some who are upset that I um, don't utilize certain practices. For example, uh, animal, animal sacrifice mm -hmm. is a part of uh, becoming a Sangoma. Like that, that's part of it. And I don't utilize it mainly because as soon as I initiated, my spirit said, no, you're not to work with blood anymore. Mm -hmm. You're to bring forth something different that they were utilizing animals because that was what they had. The shamanic way is about using what you have, using what you're connected to. So even if I were to, to do that, it would be almost People are so disconnected from their food, right? Imagine our ancestors, they spend their whole, like this, this, just a chicken, right? They raise this chicken and feed it every day and have a relationship with it, et cetera. And then if they sacrifice that, that there's like a weight to that. People nowadays, they have, they don't even know, they've never even held a chicken mm -hmm. in their life. So it makes zero sense from what, what my ancestors have put upon my shoulders to bring forth that I should continue in that way that I'm really, I have to bring something very different and very new through. Mm -hmm. So I get it from, from both, yeah. <laughs> both sides, but that's what I'm here for. And what do you like? what do you do with it? How have you learned? Because I think it's really easy for all of us to, you know, we all, again, this is that intellectual, the cognitive knowing that another person's opinion is none of our business. And, you know, we can know all of those things. And yet the human, right. The, the little girl, I think in all of us, like still can feel that on a very deep level. How have you learned to, to work with that experience when it does come up for you? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely am still human last time I checked and I definitely still, you know, I have emotions. My feelings get hurt for sure. Mm -hmm. However, I, in the ability to, to know, in the ability to see, I don't just have the thought or the, the mental capacity that, oh, this, you know, it's their opinion and even the understanding of how they got to that opinion coming from a psychological place, yeah. right? Understanding how the ego works and how they've been conditioned and da, 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 da. That does help, mm -hmm. but there's still this aspect of, I, I come back to my knowing that number one, everything is always changing. We just maybe are not seeing it changing until we look back on it. And the second is, in order to step into this role, I had to be willing to be for some people, the catalyst that's uncomfortable and triggering, mm. right? And so I've seen it. I've seen it many times where I served as that for someone and then they go off and man, they, maybe they hated me at that moment, but now 
the trajectory of their life is so different because it caused them to look at things differently or even question or so I, I do not shy away from people um, publicly attacking me or saying whatever. And I will even respond because <laughs> I'm not going to defend myself, but I am going to plant a seed and then I'm going to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite comedians, um, Dane Cook, he had a, he had a, um, a stand-up special, The Vicious Circle, and he talked about women being brain ninjas. And ever since then, I'm like, that's what I do. I, I plant a little, a little seed. And then before you know it, it blows and your, your whole reality is shattered. And if it means that you have to look at me, like I have, you know, horns growing out of my head. Well, they better be bedazzled. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. How has, uh, how, I know that in the last, like, even just in 2021, um, you've been more publicly sharing about the massive business success that you've had. How has that been, uh, received from the spiritual communities? I know oftentimes, and I'd love for you to share some of this too, that, you know, there is a real, uh, fracture in that system around, uh, you know, spirituality and financial success. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on your own journey, um, as well as the broken system. Yeah. I think for me at this point, it's becoming about not just sharing what's possible because well, number one, having the evidence that something is possible, especially as a woman under 35 as a, just a woman, and then also a woman of color. I think it's very important that others see that even just a fraction of it is possible for them, right? Like if she can do it, then maybe I can too. So that's important. The other piece is part of, part of the, the kind of return to things being right side up our priorities are really messed up. And so I'm bringing forth, of course, this this story, this mythology around how things were structured. And of course there was shadow to it, but there was also benefit. And part of that benefit was that the spiritual was revered, right? So you had the king, or the queen, or the pharaoh, or whoever, the empress, et cetera, right? Who in ancient times, actually, there was a process to make sure that this actually was the person divined by divinity, mm-hmm. <laughs> called by divinity to be in that seat, not just, oh, they said so, and there's a lineage or whatever, but there's a process to actually figure that out. Okay. So you have this person, And there's a spiritual connection there, right? This is someone who has been tested and called to that position by the divine, right? Then you have this other piece of their right hand, right? Like Arthur had Merlin. And that actually was the, one of the most important roles, not only for the king, this is the person who's guiding the king, right? Seeing what's to come, seeing what they're not seeing, but also on a societal level, right? It's about responsibility. This is a person who's responsible for the spiritual well-being of the community or Mm -hmm. kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we understand that everything is spirit before it's physical, everything, even this, even this glass was spirit. It was a thought before it was made into matter. Then we have to understand that there's nothing more important than the spirit. There's nothing more valuable than spiritual development and spiritual ascension. (laughs) So then if we have a land, a society in which we 
really value cars and jewelry and da 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 da, which by the way, clearly I love mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, but we put the spiritual as being less than. What does that say about who we are and the kind of experiences that we're going to have in this world? So that is why I had to take a stand, not just for myself. This isn't about me just talking about myself and, you know, I, I charge luxury level prices. Invest, the investment level is high to work with me. I did that because it's a statement to everyone that actually this is more important than your vacation home. Mm -hmm. This is more valuable than your iPhone. Mm -hmm. And so even when I go to create an offer, I look at who is this person? What is it that they value? right? This needs to actually be more than what they value. Mm -hmm. And even with that, I have high level. I literally did a VIP day yesterday with one of my highest level clients. This is an over six figure level that she works with me. And she said yesterday, I feel like I need to invest more actually, Mm. because this is the most important thing in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't have health without my spirit. I don't have a family without spirit, you know? I'm, I'm curious and I'm aware of the time, um, but I'd love to, to get to this if we can. Um, I'm curious if, like, if you can share your thoughts on how as a collective, we have gotten so far away from spirit. And if, I know that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get the Cliff's Notes version of that one. But in that process, you know, just from like the business and marketing aspect, have you found yourself, um, has there been any, you know, when people, when these luxury clients are coming to you, are they knowing already that this is the most important thing? Or is there a piece of teaching because of how far we've gotten as a collective that you need to do? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually start there and then we'll kind of wrap it up with, with the societal thing. Um, most of them, when they come, there's an inkling of a knowing because they've already experienced everything else and are still unfulfilled, disconnected, not fulfilling their potential, so on and so forth. So there's already a little bit of a knowing they maybe don't know the full gravity of it, And I am completely confident in, in spirit to show that to them. However, on an education level, part of my role for sure is redirecting the narrative around and, and really educating people on. And sometimes it looks like a lot of paradox because I have to put it, I talk with my team. I'm like, I have to put the pill in the cream cheese, because everyone says, you know, I want, this is a really good example. I want 10 K months, uh-huh. right? It's a consistent thing. I wanted to, I want 10 K months. So then I have to put the understanding in, in you wanting the 10 K months yeah. and what's actually valuable. That's going to the 10 K month is like nothing. Not that it's nothing, but it really, it's just a side effect. It's just a manifestation of this, mm-hmm. of you developing mastery in, in the spirit realm that could possibly manifest. By the way, it does not always for everyone. There are some people who have a crap ton of money and are not spiritually aligned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That there's a lot of that. But these are people who come and they know that they're here for a bigger purpose and a bigger reason. And ultimately it becomes about detaching from, does it have to be a million dollar business? I, at this point, I care about having a million dollar business, but I don't, 
at the same time because I'm already being the version of myself that has a million dollar business. To me, a million dollar business means creating opportunities and supporting others and da, 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 da. Well, I can do all of that without the million dollar business. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I create the million dollar business. Yeah. That makes sense. The beautiful paradox. I love it. I love it. And if you can just, I'd love to hear your, um, you know, your thoughts on, and I, I know this is, you know, thousands and thousands of years in the making, but that's, you know, it's that, you know, we have moved collectively so far away from spirit, um, spirituality. And at the same time, I think we're probably in a time where people are opening up more to it than ever before in recent years anyways. Um, like the pendulum is kind of swinging itself back. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we got so disconnected in the first place. Yeah. A lot of it really does center around the destruction and decimation of the feminine, the divine feminine. That's really where, that's really the root. You can go back a few thousand years, right? This is thousands of years we're talking about, not 200, but it all really began when we started to degrade the value of the feminine in favor for the masculine, but to a degree that is, that is overemphasized because the masculine is so valuable and important. It's just that we got so like too much of a focus on that without having the development of, and the appreciation for, and the valuing of the feminine, because feminine, the feminine aspect is the most connected to spirit, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Intuition, feminine, love, feminine, um, connection, and so on and so forth. That's really where it all began. Creativity. I mean, creation, (laughs) creation, like we can go on and on and on. And so we think that it just started with the subjugation of women, but all of it actually really started with no, actually we're going to tear down the goddess. We're going to put in place a God, even worse. We're going to put in place a God that actually has no face. And we're going to just make it like, we're going to assume that it's a male and Oh, now we're going to also demonize everything that's feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Feminine. She ate the, she ate the, um, she committed the first sin yeah. and she's, you know, a, a seductress and, and, and which has just perpetuated and, and think about it. All of us come from a mother, all of us come from the feminine. So it really is like self-hatred mm. <laughs> at the core and, and, uh, division within the self. Mm-hmm. I love this so much and I'm aware of our time and I'm already like, okay, so I'm just going to email again and we'll get you back on the schedule so we can go into all aspects of like, I would love, love, love to go in, like really just go in with you on the divine feminine. Um, intuition was another piece of what I was like really wanting to, to talk about with you. Cause I know that's such a huge part of the work that you do with others is, and, and, and the importance of, you know, the connection to our own intuition and how it supports our growth and our development and transformation and how we've become so disconnected from it. Um, so we'll just have to have you back if that's okay. <laughs> yes. Cause I, I do notice how we had a very nice segue to a part two. Um, totally. On- Totally. I mean, it was just like an obvious one there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Makosi, thank you so much for taking your time to be here. Thank you for this conversation. I have really, really enjoyed getting to talk to you and hear your story. And I just want to express my immense gratitude, not only for your time here, but also for the work that you are doing out in the world. You are such a beautiful beautiful light in this world. I mean, physically you're stunning, um, (laughs) emotionally, (laughs) spiritually, um, you are such a light and, and what you are doing is seen and it is valued. And thank you for that work. 
Oh, thank you so much. And I am going to fully receive that. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Love Your Truth podcast. I am really just so happy that you stopped by. And I would at this point just love to ask for your help in spreading the message and maybe sharing this episode with someone that you think would love it or benefit from it. And also, if you could head over to iTunes, if you feel so moved to do so, and leave an honest comment and review for us, that would really help me out with this journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. And until next time, please don't forget to love your truth. Thanks, guys.